Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Twenty-three, word of the day for October twenty-first. I should have said twenty-one, but twenty-three is the word of the day. Happy birthday, October twenty-first. It's Friday to my sister Samantha. Twenty-three is the number, though, because that is Jose Altuve, one of the best players, buzzer or no buzzer, and there's no buzzer under his shirt. Everybody should be getting over two thousand seventeen and the Astros garbage can scandal and buzzers and ripping shirts off. Astros are back in the American League Championship Series for a sixth straight season, which is record-breaking and pretty incredible. That sort of sustained winning. Last night, the Astros beat the Yankees 3-2 to to take a 2-0 lead in the best-of-seven series. And Jose Altuve, the leadoff hitter for the Astros, is 0-for-23 in the playoffs, and that is a record. There has never been a player in the history of baseball, never in the history, which we don't say too often, and when we do, we're not right, who has started a playoffs 0 for 23. Jose Altuve was batting leadoff last night. Jose Altuve was batting leadoff the night before and the game before that and the week before that and the month before that. The Houston Astros were up one game to nothing. Their hitting has been... Sort of atrocious. Alvarez was hot in the division series, but they're not hitting with runners in scoring position. They're not driving in runs when they need to be. The lineup came out for game two, and there was Jose Altuve at the top of the lineup. And that is in stark contrast to the Yankees lineup, where they also are not hitting, struggling to say the least, not hitting with runners in scoring position. And all of a sudden, they changed their lineup. Again, Aaron Judge, not at the top of the lineup. Torres, Glebar Torres, Glaber Torres, not at the top of the lineup. Harrison Bader, my fellow Horace Mann alum, who had four home runs in his first six postseason games, tying Babe Ruth or besting Babe Ruth as the greatest six-game stretch to a start of a career for a Yankee. Bader to the top of the lineup, judged in the two-hole. Stanton moved up to the three-hole. Rizzo moved back to the four-hole. Doesn't matter if you're not keeping track of what their lineup was. What matters is that the Yankees 
had Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone meeting and said, hey, we got to do something. We got to show Hal Steinbrenner. We got to show our fans. We got to do something. We got to wake up these players. We're going to move players in the lineup, and that'll be the ticket. I had long conversations with executives over the years about lineup changes because that is the knee-jerk reaction of a non-baseball person. You got to do something. When it's not working or you're going through a stretch where you're not winning games, the reaction of a non-baseball trained mind or eye or fan or media member or someone named Samson is, hey, switch it up. Let's do something different. Let's turn over the spread in the clubhouse. Let's not let the players have food or candy. Let's yell at them. Let's throw helmets out of the bat rack or the helmet rack. Let's change the lineup. Let's change the signs. We have to do something. And sometimes the baseball people would say to me, David, I'm going to ask you again not to do this. Don't make us change the lineup. Don't make us do something for the sake of doing something. Don't send out this player because he's 0 for 15 or this pitcher because you're reading in the press how bad he is and the pitcher has to be gotten rid of. Don't do something for the sake of doing it. Tell me why. And my answer would always be because this will be the spark. Such a fan standpoint, right? Such a fan viewpoint. Just the difference will be that it's different. And that is not sound logic. In your regular business, when something is going wrong, you try to figure out why it's going wrong. And if it's a variable reason that is not within your control, changing the way you do it will not make the thing that is going wrong start to go right. Now, if something's going wrong in your business, so for example, you have a delivery route and you're late to every stop and you find out because of traffic patterns that if you switch the order of delivery, you'll get to everyone when you're supposed to get to them on time. I am all in. Switch the delivery route because you have a problem and switching the route will fix your problem. What ails the Yankees is a personnel problem. So here's the equivalent. And I was racking my brain during the Christian McCaffrey one-hour breaking news on CBS Sports HQ in the middle of our postgame last night. I was racking my brain about this sort of analogy. When you are have the delivery route and you're late to all the deliveries and you know it's because of a traffic problem and here's what you do. We're going to fix it. We're going to switch drivers. That'll do it. We're going to bring in Tom instead of Dick, and he's going to make sure that he gets to Harry's on time. And then all of a sudden, you go to the next day, and everyone's late with their delivery again. What happened? Oh, that's right. We switched the wrong damn thing. <laughs> that's what the Yankees did. They switched the lineup, and guess what? They had another game with six or fewer hits. They had another game where they frankly only got two runs because of an error by the pitcher who was shoving it up their keister, Framber Valdez, who I assured you all was another ace like Justin Verlander. Now, Severino pitched great. The Yankees have had, I've been totally wrong, the Yankees rotation, the Yankees bullpen, they have pitched just fine. The issue has been their offense, where I thought the offense is what was going to get them to October. 
And then the pitching was going to was going to stop them from getting through October. That's been what I've been saying. That was all the craziness that we created on Nothing Personal when we did a video saying the Yankees don't have the pitching. The Yankees aren't good enough. Guess what? I'm tipping my cap. The Yankees pitching has been fine these two games. They can't score. If you don't score, you're not going to win. So you've got the Astros who don't panic with Altuve. They keep him in the lineup. You have the Yankees who maneuver their lineup around. They start Peraza at shortstop. They start Cabrera in the outfield. They have Stanton DH as opposed to game one. And yada, 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 they lose three to two. Pretty amazing, right? The other thing that happens during a game where executives get involved is when pitchers get taken out of games. It is very, very common for the front office to go crazy and call into the locker room or go down there and get upset when pitchers are taken out a batter too late. Because it always seems to a fan that pitchers are taken out a batter too late, right? It's rare that the manager does his walk of shame to the pitcher's mound, right? The manager's walking out there and he raises his right hand. Do you know that managers, when they go out, do you know how you know who's coming in to pitch? If they point to the bullpen with their left hand, it's a lefty. When they point to the bullpen with their right hand, it's a righty. Now, in theory, the reason that was done is because before there was communication with the dugout and the clubhouse or the dugout and the bullpen, you had to let the bullpen know, hey, we got two guys warming up. Who do you want? Who do you want? The only complication comes when there's two righties warming up. And then when the manager, here's what we have the manager do, you either go one or two with your fingers. So you point to the bullpen with your right hand if you're on nothing personal with David Sampson. One finger is the guy on your left, sort of stage, stage right, your left audience left stage right do you know the difference when people say hey stage right that means when you're on stage looking into the audience you're right so that would be the audience left hey we're giving you some knowledge here on a random friday morning so you point to the bullpen one finger two fingers but all of that is ridiculous now because there's total communication between the dugout and the bullpen and you just call them on the phone and say hey we want peralta that's the guy with the Yankees. So the Yankees are down to it. Game ends. Aaron Boone takes the podium. Managers hate that when they're forced, and it's their job. Little known facts here that all managers, all 30 managers in Major League Baseball, have certain responsibilities within their contract that they have to do. They have to meet the media before the game. They have to meet the media after the game. Players do not have to do it. When, they're, when you see players at the podium in the postseason, they're asked by Major League Baseball and team PR personnel, hey, you're the starting pitcher, the game ended, will you meet the media? Starting pitchers before games have to meet the media, like before All-Star Games, as an example. That's part of their responsibility. But managers have no choice. And the reason why there is a break after the game, before the managers go to the podium, is they get 10 minutes before the clubhouse opens to media. They get 10 minutes before they have to meet the media because that, in theory, is supposed to give you a minute to both calm down and get prepared by your PR people with what's going to be asked and what you should be saying. And at the end of a game, the GM and the president, nine times out of 10, maybe 9.9 times out of 10, are waiting in the manager's office. They let the manager come in, blow off steam, throw something against the wall, grab a beer, sit down, take their top off, I mean, their jersey off. They have stuff underneath, of course, 
And uh, though, yes, there are times we're with the manager when the manager is getting ready for a game and showering. But anyway, so you're talking to the manager about what's going to be asked and, and what they're going to say. Aaron Boone goes to the podium, and it stinks after you lose a playoff game to have to go sit there and talk. It really does. And I have great sympathy, not quite empathy, but I have sympathy for the managers who have to do it, though they're paid, but still. So Aaron Boone, one of the big topics yesterday was the roof. And I don't know if you noticed by watching the game, the roof was open at Minute Maid. And is it still called Minute Maid, Coca? It has, I think it is. These, these stadiums keep changing their names, and I got one of them wrong recently with Chase versus Oracle. I think it's Minute Maid, Coca. Anyway, so the roof was open, and uh, it is still Minute Maid. And that was noteworthy because, like in Miami, Houston is H-O-Triple-T and H-U-M-I-Triple-D, and it would be very strange for a roof to be open. But the weather last night in Houston was perfect. Now, the Yankees don't make the decision on whether the roof should be open. The Astros don't make the decision on whether the roof should be open. During the postseason, like we spoke to you about rain delays and rainouts, all those decisions are made by Major League Baseball. I thought having the roof open was a great advantage to the Yankees, and there's a great advantage that MLB would like this series to go long. Keep in mind who MLB roots for. They definitely would like the Yankees to make it all the way to the World Series. But the Astros are a big enough story. They're a big enough national story. People want to sort of see whether or not they're cheating. They want to listen for cans or buzzers, et cetera. So either way, they're good in the ALCS. But the way they make money is with an extended series. Major League Baseball, the commissioner, the other owners, we don't like sweeps. Sweeps are bad. So if you ask the commissioner who you're rooting for, game one, Whoever wins, great, no problem. Game two, we want the other team to win because we like it to be a long series. And then the team that's down 3-2 in game six, they're rooting for the team down 3-2. Now, that's not when the Marlins are playing the Cubs or the Marlins are playing the Yankees. Then you're rooting for the Cubs and the Yankees. You want to win in game six or game seven. But even the commissioner is rooting for the Marlins if they're down 3-0 or 3-1. You want them to win a game to extend the series. Not only is it beneficial to players when the series go longer, because that means the pool of money that they split once the postseason ends. That's how players get their bonuses, by the way. Someone asked me a question, Coca, about Fernando Tatis and whether or not he's going to get a playoff share from the Padres. Uh, Playoff shares are voted on by players. It is a closed-door meeting where the front office is not allowed to be there, and they vote who is going to get this money and what percentage of the money will they get. A full playoff share is a different amount for each team, not only because each team gets distributed a different amount. It's like a tournament. If you lose in the wild card round, you get one amount. If you lose in the division series, you get more money but a different amount. And then the league championship series and then the World Series, the loser gets the second most and the winner of the World Series gets the most. And the pool of money comes from all of the gate that comes from all of the playoff games plus the percentage of the broadcast revenue. You shove all of that in, and you get money that the players get to split. And then the players decide with their pot of money who gets what. So let's just say there's a million people who are eligible, and you have a million dollars. A full share is not a dollar. That's not how the math goes. The math goes differently. 
they vote on full shares versus three-quarter shares versus half shares versus a set dollar amount. So you can say that we want to give $10,000 to the clubhouse manager. We want to give $40,000 to the traveling secretary. We want to give $100,000 to the team president. <laughs> Negative. I asked the players in 03, hey, am I getting a share? Just as a joke. Of course, the GM and the president do not get a share. But the clubbies do. The trainers do. And you cannot negotiate or argue with the players. They submit a list to you of what they've decided. So they have a players-only meeting, and then they hand you a piece of paper and say the following players will get, quote-unquote, full shares. So if there's 70 full shares, you then take the amount of money, you split over the number of people, and you see what a full share is, and then on top of that, you distribute a half share, whatever the half amount of that money would be, and that's how it's decided. So for Fernando Tatis, no one has an answer. And these things do not leak out until after the fact. And the way they leak out after the fact is the players don't have a checkbook, right? Eventually, the league is notified as to who has to get paid how much. It's not like there's a bucket of cash and someone is counting out dollars the way we do with per diem where the traveling secretary walks up and down the plane, the aisle of the plane, handing out envelopes to players with what their per diem is going to be for that particular road trip. It's not like that with playoff money. So we will not know whether Tatis got a share until after, just like we won't know whether Tatis will get a World Series ring or whether Joe Girardi would get a ring if the Phillies win the World Series. We'll find out, just not now. Did you see the fan on the field? Can we talk about that for one second, Coca? I don't know. You're, you're talking to me, and I, I was talking, so I couldn't hear what you were saying about a suspension. Who Who's the suspension? You're talking about Tatis' suspension? Uh, postseason games, some suspensions, postseason games do not count. Some suspensions, they do. Uh, so, for example, for steroids, uh, you are ineligible to play in the postseason, but I believe part of the collective bargaining agreement is that those see, those games do count. So Tatis is certainly hoping for a long run by the Padres because that stops his number of games that he misses next season. I've completely blanked on he got 80 games. What did he miss? Was it 40 this year or 50 this year? So he had 30 to go. And the Padres have played, I don't know, 10 or 15 this, this postseason. So, yes, it all counts. One thing I'd, I'd like to ask anyone who will answer who's currently where I am, I'm asking you, yes. No, no one's here. Why do fans run on the field? What's the thought process there? Is it just being drunk, Coca? Is that why people do it? They're just drunk and they're happy? Or is it because they want attention? It can't be because they want to go to jail or the holding cell that's in the ballpark. All ballparks have holding cells. It, it can't be because they want to pay the fine. Is it, be, is it a bet? Is it a dare? Is it, is it some sort of bad combination of medicines and alcohol? Do you think that it's a way that you're going to actually befriend a player, like get a phone number? There was a fan on the field in the ninth inning last night, and I was furious. 
if you looked carefully, the pitcher, Ryan Presley, was coming in for a second game in a row trying to get the save. He was livid. And the reason he was livid is that players have a routine and they warm up in between innings. They have a certain number of pitches. They have their own number of pitches they like to throw in what order in between innings. Have you ever wondered what they throw? Did you know that when pitchers are are throwing and warming up that the catcher knows what they're throwing by what the pitcher does with their glove? Watch that next time. It's pretty interesting. So picture a glove on your left hand if you're a righty. If you show the glove to the catcher versus you you flip the glove over, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see what I'm doing. It indicates to the catcher whether it's going to be a fast fastball or a breaking ball during the warm-ups. But pitchers have their own routine, and they don't want to stray from that routine. Presley goes through his warm-ups, and he can't start the inning because there's a crazy fan running around in an Astros jersey, not being shown on TV because the networks were told by Major League Baseball that do not give oxygen to these people who run on the field. It's a security issue, a Monica Seles-like issue. We cannot have it, and we don't want to show the security guards who are sometimes overweight and slower than the fans who are running around like the Keystone Cops try to tackle the fan. We don't want to show it. We don't want to make it so people will get on national TV for running on the field. So this guy runs on the field and goes up to Jose Altuve and tries to get a selfie with him. And Altuve said, I was fine because I knew he was an Astros fan because he had an Astros jersey on. Of course, thank God the Israelis and others don't profile that way because that'd be the first thing you'd wear if you had ill intentions, is you'd look like you were an Astros fan when you were not an Astros fan, if you were smart. I assume this guy was hammered, but just out of curiosity for all people who go to home games, no matter how drunk you get, do you think it helps your team in any way? Now, in this case, it did not hurt the Astros. In this case, it worked out just fine. The Astros ended up winning the game. Presley ended up getting the save, but I just... I don't get it. <sighs> okay, Coca, play the music. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That is a movie called Half-Baked. And in the movie, there's a character named Samson. And people want to talk to him. If you want to talk to me, just get right up into my Twitter at David P. Samson can follow me you can follow nothing personal on tiktok or instagram or me on instagram a lot of ways to engage but we're still hoping that you subscribe on youtube because you can see this great hotel background and for those of you who watch cbs sports hq and the show maybe you figured out what my plan is have you yes i'm in last night's suit <laughs> all right do players have the responsibility to stand up to owners like LeBron did with Sarver? And hello, Mr. Sampson. I'm David. Mr. Sampson is my father, my late father, my late grandfather. I'm just David. But thank you. That was very respectful of you. Do players have the responsibility to stand up to owners like LeBron did with Sarver? I have a feeling I know what you're asking, though you didn't put it into the question, so this is what I'm going to talk about. Aaron Rodgers was asked yesterday, so this must have been in your head, about Daniel Snyder. I just had a complete... Have you ever had a situation where your brain just stops? 
I just, I went into slow motion. It totally just stopped. It was not anxiety. It was just a complete blank. Not like an old person. I forgot my memory blank. I just stopped talking. Aaron Rodgers was asked about Daniel Snyder, and he had some very interesting comments that I wanted to read to you. When asked about Snyder and his behavior and whether or not he should be forced to sell the team, his response was, it's a tough question. And then he said, there's been some interesting articles and obviously some headlines that maybe grab your attention. It's interesting for sure. Not my favorite choice of word to describe the behavior of Daniel Snyder, but it's okay. I don't know how much it harms the league. Uh-oh. There's obviously been some incidents that reflect poorly on certain organizations, which isn't great for the league. But as you guys all know, the league is going to protect itself, and I'm sure they'll make the right decision. This is very different than what LeBron said about Sarver after Sarver, the punishment handed out by Adam Silver. If you remember that, go back to a previous episode. LeBron James said, this is unacceptable. You're telling me that $10 million in one year is the best you can do for someone who is potentially racist on top of that, misogynistic on top of that, has a workplace where no one feels safe? That's what we're saying? What is the difference between Daniel Snyder and Robert Sarver? Can you think of any? Do you associate Robert Sarver and Daniel Snyder? The way I associate Daniel Snyder is someone who has done just about everything you can do wrong when you're running an organization. I don't mean on the field because you'll never hear from me, and this is self-preservation, you'll never hear from me that an owner should be removed or forced to sell because they make bad signings and their team stinks every single year. Now, why would I say that? Because then I'd be getting rid of myself. But there are certain behaviors that you cannot accept from a successful franchise on the field or a failed franchise on the field, it doesn't matter. The front office behavior, the player behavior, it's why I'm so upset and angry with the fact that players and their domestic abuse and their DUIs and all the things they're doing, they get away with it. And the reason why they do, for the most part, is the NFL realizes what you and I have talked about, which is, hey, you're not going anywhere. You're watching a Thursday night game between the Broncos and the Commanders. You're watching last night as the Saints lose 42-34 to the Cardinals. My guess is more of you watch that than watch the ALCS. And I think the ratings will show that. But your question about players and their responsibility. Because somebody is really good at a sport... Why do we assume that that means that they have a thoughtful opinion on something else? Or why do we assume that they should be forced to give an opinion on something else? Why do we listen to them on a subject that is not their strength because they're famous or rich? It's the same view I have of many actors. Historically, actors have used their platforms, and this goes back even pre-McCarthy, to give you political opinions. I mean, Jane Fonda is a great example of someone who has done an unbelievable job of making us aware of certain issues throughout her life, not just feminism, but major involvement in the wars and her view of being anti-war. I'm all in on everybody giving their point of view. 
I'm all in on advocacy. I'm totally fine with athletes having a point of view that is not right. I don't ever say shut up and dribble at all. Everybody should have the right. Having a right is different than an obligation. Because somebody has a platform, I talked a lot during COVID and during everything that was going on with the social reckoning with the the George Floyd and all of the Breonna Taylor and everything that was going on, that when you have a platform, you got to use it. We talked about that with the school shootings. We talked about that with Roe v. Wade. I've always believed when you have a platform, you should use it. It's my view. But only use it when you've got thoughtful discourse. Only use it when you think that it will be helpful to help people understand something they don't or to help sway them to believe something that you do. That's advocacy. I'm good. But none of us should be forced to have an opinion or to read about something or learn about something that we don't know if you don't want to know it and don't want to learn about it. If you want to go to the sidelines the way Michael Jordan did throughout his career, he did it for business reasons, of course, but if you want to do that, that's okay. I have never criticized that. I refuse to criticize Aaron Rodgers for his response to that, no matter how poor that response was. And it was pretty poor. I don't view any of this as interesting, what Daniel Snyder's doing. I view it as borderline criminal. I view it as incredibly irresponsible. I view it as something that should not be permitted. I don't know that I view it, nor should you, as interesting. So my answer to you is that when we tell players when things are going on, when there's hurricanes, when there's major calamities that happen in a home city and you want players to get involved, when you want players to be talking about, let's say, a lockout or talking about things that are going on with collective bargaining or when you've got a player tragedy or a player arrest, we'll talk to players and we'll try to figure out who's willing to talk publicly, who wants to talk publicly. We'll try to help them just like we get helped with message points, etc. But we never say it's part of their responsibility. So my answer to you is no, and it never will be, and it never should be. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to review. I got through all 10 episodes of Dahmer, and I want to talk about it. And then we're going to uh, talk about a few things that happened in the National Football League last night. We'll be right back. The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think they'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers... Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON, only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. 
In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's a Friday, 21st of October. I've got to say it again because it's my sister's birthday. I'm a birthday guy. When I give talks to people, whether they're students, whether they're it's leadership speeches to to workers in a company, I am a uh, I'm a big point of contact person. That's how you network. That's how you get ahead. Is when you have a good uh, contact list. <clears throat> Having a good contact list, you have to stay in contact with your contact list, right? It's not that cool to have a lot of contacts in your phone. If oh yeah, I don't really know who that is. Number one, or oh yeah, um, I haven't spoken to that person in ten years. I like to reach out to people on their birthdays. I'm a birthday person. It's a reason to contact them. So I'm a big birthday person. So I'm going to do more than just text. It's always a funny thing. Do you text the person? Are there different levels? Side note here, Coca. There are different levels of birthdays, right? Some people are the Facebook happy birthday post on the timeline birthdays. Some people are the text birthdays. Some people are the phone call birthdays, but please let me get a voicemail, and I'm not calling back. And then some people are, God damn it, I got the voicemail. I have to call back because the day cannot pass without a full voice-on-voice contact. And then even above that is, hey, I got it. We got, what are we doing for your birthday? I guess below the Facebook post timeline is the, oh, yeah, it's your birthday. Yeah, I forgot to text you. Yeah, it's too late. I'm not going to do it. That's funny. All right, Samantha, what were we talking about? Oh, Dahmer. No, I do not associate you with Jeffrey Dahmer. So I was born in Milwaukee, and I moved out of Milwaukee uh, forcefully, but no problem. Grew up in New York. Couldn't be happier to be a New Yorker. I don't know. Do I say I'm not? I love Milwaukee. I went back to Milwaukee all the time for, for summers and for school vacations. I went to summer camp in Wisconsin, Eagle River, Wisconsin. I went to college at the University of Wisconsin for sophomore, junior, and senior year. And in 1991, I was back in New York in law school, having graduated Wisconsin in 1990. Yes, that is 32 years ago when I graduated. And uh, I don't think Harrison Bader was even born. Forget the fact that he was not a Horace man. But I still followed Milwaukee. I had tons of friends from Milwaukee. And when Jeffrey Dahmer got arrested and it became public and known that Jeffrey Dahmer was going to go down in history as one of the worst serial killers of all time, one of the most heinous crimes that he had eaten 17 parts of 17 people. He had kept body parts in an apartment building in Milwaukee. I took special attention to that because of my connection to Milwaukee, and I wonder whether I would have had the same connection to serial killers in different parts of the country. The answer is, like in 1977 as a kid, I think that was the year, Coco, will you check it? Uh, Son of Sam, David Berkowitz in New York City, when I was young and I wasn't allowed to be alone, A, I was way too scared to be alone just because I was a small guy. So I was young, I was a kid, why wouldn't you be scared? But it was 1976, so I was eight years old. And uh, in New York, it was the cover of the Post every day that they were looking for a serial killer, and then David Berkowitz gets arrested, and it was a huge deal, and everyone could breathe a sigh of relief. It's always funny to me 
the odds. It's an odds game, isn't it? I was doing math even as an eight-year-old. Yeah, there's a serial killer on the loose, but I'm far more worried about the 82nd Street Gang. I'm far more worried about being mugged as I'm walking than I am being killed by a serial killer, right? I guess you should be more scared of a serial killer, but but why? That's like being more scared of something or being more excited buying a lottery ticket. Hey, I'm going to win the lottery. It's like the opposite of winning the lottery to be killed by a serial killer. The odds are not great, but you have that fear. Like, I don't want to walk alone at night. If you're a man or a woman and there's a serial killer who's just targeting men or just targeting women. Jeffrey Dahmer was targeting gay men, gay men of color. So I've known about Jeffrey Dahmer, read about Jeffrey Dahmer. There's been a ton of shows about Jeffrey Dahmer. And there's a new 10-episode series that is like the most watched Netflix series, the most streamed series ever in the history of Netflix. I think it's like number one. And I got through it, but it took a long time for me to get through it because it's really hard to watch. When my agent would call or an agent calls you and says, hey, do you want to read for the Jeffrey Dahmer part? You know, you want the work. But the actor who's playing Jeffrey Dahmer, whose name completely escapes me, that's, that's actually not true. It's funny, I can never be not truthful with my audience. The reason why it doesn't escape me is I never knew it. Evan Peters, thank you, Coca. I'm watching this series, and I've got Jeffrey Dahmer in my mind because I know exactly what he looks like. I remember when he got arrested. I remember him being taken out of the um, in the courtroom. I remember him when he was sentenced. I remember when he when the end of his life, whatever, did his life end? Spoiler alert, whatever. And Evan Peters is Jeffrey Dahmer in a way that. I am worried that he's not going to get more work because he's so good. But God, unless his appearance, and I've never seen Evan Peters not as Jeffrey Dahmer, so I guess it's possible that he doesn't have that type of hair. I know he likely doesn't wear those glasses. So maybe he looks nothing like that when he slicks his hair back or whatever he looks like, or maybe it was a wig. But man. Evan Peters is going to get Emmy consideration because the way he played Jeffrey Dahmer was Jeffrey Dahmer. Richard Jenkins, one of my favorite character actors, plays Lionel Dahmer, and that is probably the second most fascinating character. Molly Ringwald plays Jeffrey Dahmer's stepmother. Taking these jobs, it's good work when you're in Hollywood, right? Molly Ringwald gets this offer. You're going to take it. Richard Jenkins, this is what he does. He does parts where he does them well. But it, this is one creepy thing. I don't mean creepy like Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween type creepy or Coco. What was what's your um, what's your favorite Michael Myers? Obviously, ten thirty one. You're ten days away. Halloween. Oh, Michael Myers is Halloween. What what's uh, what's the guy from uh, Friday the Thirteenth? Is that Jason? I don't watch any of these movies. That is Jason. So I don't know people who don't like horror movies. This isn't horror, Dahmer. It's not like you're, you're it, but there's suspense, but it's more disgust and it's more sadness and anger. And you just feel, how is it possible that people can be this way? And I assume that I reserve that feeling for the killers. But I'm thinking about bullies. I'm thinking about bad people in business or bad people in life or they're all 
less than exemplary. But eating people is a little much. Boiling their bones. So I don't have the same vitriol for people right now who are taking advantage of the Dahmer situation and the fact that he's in the news right now because of this Netflix series. It's sort of bringing it back to the forefront of people. And now all of a sudden, people are viewing him again as this hero, really sort of an anti-hero. But if you are going to a Halloween party and Simone Biles brought this to my attention because I had no idea. I mean, she didn't bring it just to my attention. She could have brought it to your attention too. It's not like she's in the room next door. Hey, David, do you know that people are dressing up as Jeffrey Dahmer for Halloween? Do you know that the Jeffrey Dahmer glasses are the most popular glasses that are being sold right now? Just a quick question for you. What about Jeffrey Dahmer makes you want to dress up as him for Halloween? You want to be Jason? I'm in. You want to be Freddy Krueger? I'm in. Those aren't real people. It makes no sense to me that you would want to continue the legacy or somehow. It's so sickening. The worst part about Dahmer 10 episode series is that in prison, he was thought of by some people outside of prison as like a hero. People were like wanting his autograph. And I remember when this was happening and it fed his ego in a sick, sick way that's disgusting to say the least. Do you think that if you're not killing people but you love to be a part of it and you sort of genuflect in the direction of people who do kill people that you're not guilty by association? Certainly under the criminal code, you're not. But under the moral code, please do not let your kids dress up as Jeffrey Dahmer. There are victims' families who are still very much around. You don't recover when you have a family member killed by a serial killer. Just stop. In terms of watching the Dahmer miniseries, you have to watch it in parts. You cannot sit down and binge Dahmer. There are certain sort of candy series that you can binge. This is not one of them. This is a tough watch. To me, it is two at a time, at most three, but after three, I was so disturbed that I had to stop and watch like Virgin River, which you know I loved him. And I can rewatch any time to feel good and smile and laugh and cry. Dahmer, check it out. Two episodes to three episodes at a time. All right, so last night we're doing the post-game show and get interrupted for an hour because Christian McCaffrey gets traded to the 49ers by the Carolina Panthers. And it's like the world stopped spinning on its axis. It was huge news. And I was laughing to myself because Christian McCaffrey is totally different in every way than Elijah Moore. And these are two players, one of whom got traded, one of whom didn't, one of whom is demanding to be traded, one of whom wasn't. Elijah Moore plays for the Jets, and he's so angry that he is not being targeted, and I mean targeted by his quarterback, Zach Wilson, that he said, forget the fact that we're having a good season, I want out. Christian McCaffrey is a different situation where his team is going nowhere, and it's sort of like a... If we trade him, let's try to get back some assets because we're going nowhere. He's due a bunch of money going forward. We're going to stink, so we might as well move him. I cannot figure out why the 49ers gave what they gave, like a second-round pick, a third-round pick, a fourth-round pick, a fifth-round pick, so many picks for McCaffrey. He's good, don't get me wrong. But sometimes GMs get into this 
headspace with presidents and owners where they believe that their window is now and when it's not happening, they say, we didn't expect this window to be open, but circumstances are such that our division, we're all three and three, that's the case of the Niners division, that why don't we take this opportunity to go for it? Yet this is a team whose number one quarterback is out for the year and Jimmy Garoppolo, who they were trying to trade, is now their quarterback again. And now all of a sudden they're making a move that is considered an all-in move. And it got me to thinking last night as I was sitting around waiting to finish the postgame show, what makes teams decide to go all-in versus not? You have to base it on other teams, seasons other teams are doing. You have to base it on your statistical probability of having a deep playoff run. You have to base it on your eyes, your scouts, your view. And the biggest mistake that team executives make is the delusion mistake. The delusion mistake is thinking that you're something you're not. I love the delusion mistake. It's famous because I made it so many times. The Niners making this trade made the delusion mistake. I'm going to give you a wait to see, which is when I say something's going to happen, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But either way, I promise you we'll revisit this. Today is October 21st. The San Francisco 49ers will play at most one playoff game. That's it. Book it, Coca. Write it down. The San Francisco 49ers, Christian McCaffrey or not, will play one playoff game at most. The delusion is at an all-time high the night of October 20th, and they're going to wake up the next morning, look to their left, look to their right, and say, wow, I need a cup of coffee. Nothing personal pick of the day. Did you have the Astros over the Yankees? You got to win. Did you see the Clippers-Lakers game? We had you take the Clippers five and a half over the Lakers. Were you nervous when the Clippers were up four with two seconds left? I love how these odds makers do it. One of my favorite things is when the line is five and a half, the game is over, it's 101.97, the Lakers foul the Clippers, and all of a sudden they have two free throws, they hit them both, you cover. They miss one of two or two of two, the Lakers cover. There's nothing you can do. You're just sitting there watching. Well, the Clippers hit both free throws and one by six. Guess what? We're 2-0. and That means we're 122-95. and 27 games over, Coca. Let me give you my picks for the weekend before I talk about Russell Westbrook because we're doing way better than he is. 0 for 11. My God. Tonight we've got the National League Championship Series. Joe Musgrove is going against Suarez for the Phillies. And we're taking the Padres. Now, don't panic. We still have the Phillies in seven, but the Padres are winning tonight. Games in Philadelphia. Take Musgrove. Saturday, we've got a critical game three in the Yankees-Astros series. And I'm not doing this for you, Yankee fans. I'm not doing it because of revenue. I'm not doing it because I want a deep series. I have the Astros in six. The Yankees have to win two. They've got Garrett Cole going against Lance McCullers in the Bronx. Lance McCullers is damn good but we're taking the Yankees over the Astros. Sunday, we've got the Packers Commanders. Packers are five-point favorites over the Washington Commanders. The Washington Commanders have just a few distractions, right, to say the least, but you've got Ron Rivera saying, hey, let's focus on the field. Hey, everything's good. Don't panic. We're good. The Packers are coming off a New York nightmare. 
having lost to the Giants and Jets in consecutive weeks, having Packer Nation say, God, do we stink, having Aaron Rodgers telling you that Daniel Snyder's interesting when asked about Daniel Snyder because he's playing the Commanders. Another thing, LeBron had nothing to do with the Phoenix Suns. It was He wasn't playing Phoenix when he made his comment, but Aaron had to answer the question in theory but could have bridged to something else. The Packers are bad, but the Commanders are worse. Packers minus five over Commanders. So our picks are Padres over Phillies, Yankees over Astros on Saturday, Packers laying the points over Commanders on Sunday. It is a big weekend of sports. October is the best sports month. Please have a safe weekend. It's been a great week. And guess what? We're going to do it again. Because unlike Wrestle West, unready? Cut that coke already. We're going to be quick, I promise. Quick out here. 44069. Have a great, safe weekend. Unlike Russell Westbrook, who gave you the donut yesterday, we are coming back next week with a 100% level of certainty. It's just business. Coke is going to hate this ending. This is nothing personal.